Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 23rd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Recent WCAB decisions held that reports from non-MPN doctors are inadmissible and employers are not liable for the costs of the treatment or the report if there has been an unauthorized treatment obtained outside a validly established and noticed MPN. To benefit from these decisions, employers often are required to proceed to trial with several witnesses to prove they have a valid NPN. However, a recent panel decision laid the groundwork for an expedited method to prove up a valid NPN at trial. In the January panel decision of Brianna Clifton versus Sears Holding Corporation, one of the issues at trial was self-procured medical care obtained outside the employer's NPN. The employer offered into evidence the notices it sent to applicant. After the trial, the work comp judge ruled in favor of the applicant awarding self-procured care. The work comp judge reasoned that the record contained insufficient evidence of a properly established MPN and insufficient evidence of appropriate MPN notices to the applicant. The employer's petition for reconsideration of the findings and award was granted. The case facts showed that applicant abruptly began treatment with a non-MPN doctor for no apparent reason. She did not take advantage of the procedures for obtaining additional opinions from the MPN doctors on her treatment, nor did she seek the resolution of any dispute by seeking an AME or QME. Instead, applicant relied on her belief that there was no properly established or noticed MPN and that this justified seeking treatment anywhere she wanted. The panel decision said that the defendant is not required as part of its burden to offer witnesses to testify that applicant received the notices addressed to her or to obtain a stipulation from applicant that she received them. Defendant met its initial burden by offering proof of the notices alone. The list of MPNs approved by the DWC is available on the administrative director's website and a work comp judge may simply take judicial notice of the inclusion of a defendant's MPN on that official and publicly available list. In short, a defendant may satisfy its burden of proving it has a properly established and noticed MPN by asserting that it has an approved MPN and requesting judicial notice of the inclusion of its MPN in the list of approved MPNs on the administrative director's website and by offering unrebutted evidence that it provided the required notices. The WC amended the findings and award to defer the issue of self-procured treatment and return the matter to trial for further proceedings and decision by the work comp judge with this guidance on how an employer can meet the burden of proof of a valid MPN. And now our fraud report. A stiff prison sentence was handed down to a California physician last week for his role in a massive Medicare scam. Alexander Popov, MD, was sentenced to more than eight years in prison after a jury found him guilty of conspiring to and committing health care fraud. A 2010 indictment stated that Popov and four other physicians allowed a man named Varges Egazarian, who owned three clinics in the California cities of Carmichael, Richmond and Sacramento to submit Medicare claims in their names. Popov took on the role of co-owner and practitioner at the Sacramento Clinic, but never saw a patient there. 
Over the course of two and a half years, Popoff and the other physicians submitted more than $5 million worth of bogus claims to Medicare for non-existent or unnecessary services, of which they received $1.7 million. The physician's share of the take was 20% of what was paid out under their Medicare provider number. The patients who were predominantly elderly, non-English-speaking immigrants received little, if any, medical care during their visits. Clinic employees nevertheless recorded in their charts that they had received a comprehensive exam and a broad array of diagnostic tests. Staff would plug in off-the-shelf test results or would run tests on themselves and use those numbers. Prosecutors say Popoff lived in Los Angeles and saw none of these patients in person but signed the charts anyway. And in regulatory news, the DWC issued a new bulletin that clarified the requirements for payment of costs of first-fill pharmacy charges. Pharmacy fees incurred by non-contracted pharmacies prior to notification that the payor utilizes a pharmacy network should be paid at the fee schedule amount absent any legitimate billing objections. Labor Code Section 4600.2 allows insurers to contract with a pharmacy, a group of pharmacies, or pharmacy benefit networks, PBNs, to provide medicines and medical supplies for injured employees. However, when an injured employee first fills a prescription for a work-related injury, he or she is often unaware that the employer's insurer has a pharmacy network or has contracted with a specific pharmacy group. In such a situation, a pharmacy benefit manager, the PBM, which is a third-party administrator of prescription drug programs, will guarantee payment for a pharmacy and process the bill after determining who the employer's carrier is. Once the PBM has contacted the insurer and submitted the pharmacy charge, the insurer will inform the PBN if it has a pharmacy network or has contracted with a specific pharmacy or pharmacy group. Discounted pharmacy payments should not be applied to non-contracted pharmacies in these first-fill situations. The DWC also issued a memorandum that clarifies the requirement for QME billing. The DWC said it has received complaints from QMEs that bills are being rejected by claims administrators because they are not on the new standardized forms. By statute, medical providers are required to bill using standardized paper billing forms effective October 15, 2011. This is a new requirement for medical treatment bills only. It does not apply to medical legal bills. The Medical Billing and Payment Guide 2011 specifically states that the new forms are to be used for paper billing of California workers' compensation medical treatment services. The requirement to use the standardized paper billing forms does not apply to medical legal billings by a QME or AME. Therefore, it is not appropriate to reject or object to a medical legal bill because it was not submitted on a standardized form. The text of these regulations and the medical billing and payment guide makes the provision applicable to treatment bills only. There's no language which requires a medical legal bill to be submitted on the CMS 1500 form. And in financial news, the California Department of Insurance has reviewed workers' compensation insurance rate filings from insurance companies in response to the commissioner's advisory pure premium recommended benchmark. 
The benchmark is an estimate of the cost for workers' compensation claims, benefits, and expenses approved by the commissioner that insurance companies may use in their rate filing. The insurance commissioner does not set workers' compensation insurance rates, and the benchmark is not mandatory. The review showed that a significant number of insurers are following the approved advisory pure premium rates. According to the Department of Insurance records, for the top 100 companies that make up over 96% of the market, a majority of the companies are using the commissioner's approved advisory pure premium rates. The actual overall charges in pure premium rates based upon all rate filings received from insurers resulted in a combined increase of only 2.8% for all companies. And in other news, Cheswick, the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation, announced that the Commissioner's draft report on an evaluation of the California Injury and Illness Prevention Program has been released for posting and public comment. Cheswick is charged with examining the health and safety of workers' compensation systems in California and recommending administrative or legislative modifications to improve their operation. The commission was established to conduct a continuing examination of the workers' comp system and of the state's activities to prevent industrial injuries and occupational illnesses and to examine those programs in other states. The draft report focuses on the Injury and Illness Prevention Program, or IIPP. This is the most frequently cited standard in California with violations in about 25% of inspections. And to assess the impact of the IIPP on injuries within general industry, excluding construction and agriculture. The draft report addresses questions about implementation and effectiveness of the IIPP program. This program was implemented in 1991 and requires California employers to create a written safety plan that addresses safe work practices, employee safety training and procedures for correcting hazards, among other provisions. Two-thirds of IIPP violations in California involve employers who did not have or implement a written safety plan. Surprisingly, the study found that those firms tended to have better safety records than companies who had no IIPP violations. There was also no improvement in worker fatality rates in California after the IIP was implemented in 1991. While safety standards listed under the IIPP typically improve safety, the Commission said it's unclear whether state mandates cause employers to be safer than companies that voluntarily implement such practices. Cheswick concluded the report by saying there is little evidence that carrying out the activities required by the California IIPP will lead to improvements in safety. Another Cheswick study discussed the impact of the AMA guide's adoption on permanent disability. The Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation issued a report called The Impact of the Adoption of AMA-Based Permanent Disability Rating Schedule in California. According to the report, the average rating before apportionment decreased by over 40% for unrepresented cases and 28% for represented cases. Overall, the change in rating was 31.5% lower. The average compensation decreased by over 51% for unrepresented workers and 37% for represented cases. Overall, the change in compensation was over 40% less.
The report then gave a conservative estimate that 25% of the cases that are rated now as having no impairment under the AMA guides would have, had, would have received a positive rating under the Permanent Disability Rating System of 1997. Cheswick also released the Construction Case Study Training Guide. The Construction Case Study Training Guide was developed as part of the Commission's Worker Occupational Safety and Health Training and Education Program by the Labor Occupational Program at UC Berkeley and at UCLA in partnership with the State Building and Construction Trades Council of California. The guide combines resources with those offered by apprenticeship and pre-apprenticeship construction industry programs. The guide includes 13 case studies, including four green construction cases based on real-life stories of construction workers who sustained an occupational fatality, injury, or illness on the job. These studies teach the importance of occupational safety and health within construction industry, pre-apprenticeship, and apprenticeship programs. The publication is available on the Cheswick website. That's all our news and our, our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.